Um, so my name is Ruben Clark. I'm an entrepreneur, born and raised in London. Now I live in uh, Bedford, just north of London. I think that's nice. uh, that's pretty much who I am and where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Nice and nice and easy. Um, so an entrepreneur. So what do you specialize in? What sort of what have you got going on when it comes to the entrepreneur world? Yeah. Okay. So um, at the moment, I think you could probably define me as a, as an e-commerce entrepreneur. Um, I do Amazon uh, FBA wholesale and also eBay dropshipping. Um, so these are both business models where you can you know run them online regardless of global pandemics or whatever else they decide. <laughs> nice. So what what got you into that? What sort of like what sparked your interest in that world? So uh, with regards to the Amazon, um, I was targeted by a load of. Uh, in YouTube adverts, talking about selling on Amazon. This was a few years ago now, and I was, you know, wasn't really sold on the idea. But, uh, you know, who can make a you know a million dollars on selling books? It doesn't make no sense, right? Um, at the time, I had a nine to five. I was an engineer for a telecommunications company, and I realised it was something I could do sort of in my spare time. So I started off like a lot of Amazon sellers by just buying and selling books um, because the profit margins on them are you know, unrivaled. You can pick up a book in a charity shop for 20p and you can sell it for 150 pounds to somebody in, you know, Germany or even England. So yeah. there isn't really many other business models where you can see those sorts of margins. Um, with with me, when I usually step into certain endeavors, I try and do a bit of a, a rapid test to see how viable it would be or how scalable it would be. So within the first sort of six months, I set about trying to acquire um, as many books as possible to see how quickly I could scale this whilst I still had yeah. a job. Um, I managed to get hold of 12,500 books for free um, through the power of a Facebook group. I just threw a post up saying, hey, look, um, you know, I'm a book enthusiast. I like to recycle and rehome uh, unused books. Uh, let me help by clearing out space in your, in your spare rooms or whatever. And a lot of people have bookshelves and they're just collecting dust. And when yeah. you know you put the offer out, they're saying, I'll come and clear that for you, no charge. People are like, yes, I've been meaning to do that for 20 years. <laughs> so um, yeah, the woman, she responded. I went up to, uh, I think it was Abbott's Langley. And um, I went there in my, in my car, my little hatchback, and thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she described it as a library. I thought, yeah, we can all you know, exaggerate a little bit. Um, <laughs> I got there and he wasn't joking. There was two buildings built in the garden just for books. So they were actually like standalone buildings. Yeah. And um, it's going to take a lot of trips. <laughs> I spoke to one of my good friends who was also doing the same stuff as me. And he's got a fleet of vehicles, uh, vans, mm-hmm. and gardener. His name is James. So uh, James and I uh, returned to the house with a Mercedes Sprinter and loaded up the van <laughs> and took everything in a one foul swoop that the Sprinter, we had a BMW X5 uh, <laughs> and a hatchback as well, all three loaded up to bring <laughs> and um, we were pressed for time because she was leaving to go to um, Tokyo because she works and lives in Tokyo six months a year. So she said, they have to go today. And that's what we was like, yeah, what do we do? Um, <laughs> we took the book. And we didn't really know where to where to take them to because we didn't want to keep them in the vehicle. So we just rang yeah. up um, Sure God. Um, there was one in Harrow where um, James and I grew up. 
So I thought, okay, let's ring them. It was about, about 5.30 and the last, um, they were closing at seven o'clock basically. So we had to get there, unload everything and lock up before seven o'clock. So it was against the clock, managed to get there, <laughs> managed to unload everything and lock up. And, you know, there we had it, you know, we had 12 and a half thousand books for free. Now it's just a case of how do we sort these out into what's profitable and what's not. And that was the biggest challenge because Shoreguard was only open till 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. I had a nine to five, literally like more hours than nine to five. So I'd finish at six <laughs> in Wembley, drive back to Bedford. By the time I got to Bedford, it was eight o'clock. So there was no chance for me to do any sorting of the books during the week. So it was two days a week, Saturday and Sunday. James and I were in there just getting paper cuts, flipping through books. <laughs> And um, it took us about two months altogether to sort all the books. Um, and we netted about nine and a half grand profit between the two of us. So it's not too bad, um, but okay. it's, not, it's not scalable because that profit trickled across a year. So you, you can't forecast your, your earnings as a business yeah. based on, on chance, right? So you've got 12 and a half thousand books, like, what are the odds of those books selling and, and when are they going to sell and how much are they going to sell for? So um, I took a bit of a, a back step and I thought, you know, books isn't, isn't, isn't what I want to do because like I said, at these times I still had a nine to five. Um, and I thought if I'm going to make the transition out of my nine to five, I need security. I need to make sure that what I'm stepping into is going to still continue to pay me a handsome wage. Um, yeah. So I went from, from books into um, toys and games. So the other type of model within Amazon is something called retail arbitrage or on online arbitrage. So retail arbitrage is quite simply buying a product from one marketplace and selling it another for, for the difference. So you might buy something in Poundland, for example, for a pound, and you might sell it on eBay or Amazon for three pounds and you profit the difference. That's, yeah. that's uh, arbitrage. Um, I was doing that for a little while. Uh, it's doing quite well and then we had the uh, welcome with the global pandemic obviously beginning of this year uh big jeff decided that uh he's going to stop all non-essential shipments going into the fulfillment centers so um that put me in a bit of a position where i was like okay well i can't send anything into the fulfillment center so how do i you know transition and continue to still um, keep the world turning for the business um and this was around about March this year, this happened. So let me just rewind a little bit. <laughs> In, see, this is the thing. When I tell stories, my stories, they're just zig and zag. Nothing's like, nothing's <laughs> like I've forgotten the part that I, at this point, I don't have a job. I've quit my job. So yeah. um, I rewind until about October, I'd say. So it's so about this time last year. Um, I was doing the Amazon stuff. Um, I had a marketing agency, which I'd set up. I was seeing some traction, you know, helping out a few friends and stuff like that, doing Facebook adverts, um, building chatbots and things like that. Um, so I knew I was in a position where bio could be quite quite safe if I decided to make a decision as to hand in my nine to five and then just yeah. into the into the into the unknown and just be a full time entrepreneur. Um, so from when I was in the military, I suffered a couple of um, injuries to my lower limbs. So from that, I had to have a couple of operations over the last few years. And my most recent operation was on my ankle in uh, November last year. And 
the day after I had an operation, my manager turned up to my door from my previous job with a letter. Um, and he said to me, I want you to read this uh, when I go. And I was like, well, you're here. And he goes, no, no, we don't. I want you to read it when I go. I thought it's a bit fucking weird. It's 2019 <laughs> at the time. And he's giving me a letter by hand. I was like, surely you, there's <laughs> however many means of communication or even a stamp. Yeah. Right? Because his office is in North London. I'm in Bedford. So like, I wouldn't hand deliver anybody a letter for that distance. You know, it doesn't make no sense. Yeah. Anyway, um, he's buggered off. I've opened up the letter. I'm reading it now. And what it basically says is, I'm sorry that you've had an operation, um, but we're now putting you onto statutory sick pay. So this is in November. It's about six weeks prior before Christmas. Um, I'm being told that my wage is being deducted to £64 a week. And I thought, not really a lot you can do with that. You can just about get a Tesco meal deal every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so I thought to myself, I'm not going back. You know, I'm not going back after I recover from this operation. So I thought, I've got a couple of little things on the side, you know, the Amazon's doing okay, the agency's doing okay, um, but they don't pay the same as what I'm earning, right, as a full-time job. Yeah. And, you know, I had a few discussions with um, friends, therapists, coaches, stuff like that. And they all said, look, you know, it's the path of least resistance is the path where you're not going to grow, right? So step into the unknown and things will work out. I thought, well, sounds a little risky, you know. <laughs> I quite like having a wage. Um, nonetheless, um, I spoke to um, my occupational health nurse and I said, I'm not coming back. She said, oh, you have to serve out your one month notice. I said, I'm not coming in to serve a month's notice. Do you not hear what I said? I'm not returning. She said, why is that? And I then started to explain about how my manager, I know for a fact, some will call me a little bit crazy, but I know for a fact he was planning to try and get me removed from the company from the first day that I met him. Um, Won't go into all of that, but it was just a sequence of events which all added up. And this was the crescendo, which was, is your letter. This is what I've been waiting for. And that's why I started putting in these plans as Amazon business agency, because I thought, you know, my job is at, is at risk here. Nonetheless, yeah. fortunately, I was prepared. Um, you know, there's that expression, which is um, success is defined as when preparation meets opportunity. So for me, I prepared and that was the opportunity. And I stepped forward into the unknown and, and left my job. Um, my last day of work was Friday the 13th of December. Um, some people would call that unlucky. Uh, for me, arguably, I don't think it was very unlucky because <laughs> leaving that job, I've never been better, to be fair. I may have acquired three grey hairs since I've left. <laughs> but I'd like to think that becomes... Is that all? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's probably a few on the back, but I can't see them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, left the job, um, went into 2020 thinking, yeah, fucking hell, I'm going to be an <laughs> entrepreneur doing this, doing that, you know, living the, the laptop lifestyle, remote as fuck, not in a van with a toolbox anymore. And um, before you know it, you know, there's videos circulating of people dropping dead on the streets in Wuhan and people talking about don't go anywhere near bats. I'm thinking, oh, hang on, this wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. Definitely so, not. Um, here I am, it's January. I quit my full-time job. <clears throat> my marketing agency was doing all right, but now everybody's saying, oh, we know, I don't really want to do anything. <laughs> Coronavirus. And I'm yeah. like, well, you know, you don't 
you, you don't take the, the batteries out of your watch to stop time, right? You know, you need to keep the wheels turning because without having a presence online, you know, then people are going to forget about you. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, if you fail to innovate, then you, you get forgotten. If you look at Blockbuster, Toys R Us and whoever else is now no longer here. So, um, yeah, I decided to make a very bold investment. I spent uh, several thousand pounds on an online sales coach. Um, it didn't work out exactly how that I anticipated um, because literally because of circumstances, you know, it was one of those things which was unforeseen. Um, and every time I was having an opportunity to potentially, you know, uh, work with new clients or customers, it was always a case of the same rebuttals. It was, you know, not right now, um, you know, we're looking at having to furlough staff and these sorts of things. So these were the challenges that I was faced with from sort of like January up until April. And then that's when Jeff turned around and said, we're not accepting any um, non-essential shipments to the Amazon fulfillment centers. So yeah. the Amazon line, which I had building up, it started to now reach, you know, a dead end. The agency stuff was now, you know, falling on deaf ears. I don't have a job. I'm thinking, okay, hmm, this is definitely not how I planned for things to work out. So um, I just took a bit of time to reflect and think about like how how I could pivot the Amazon business in order to still serve my customers, um, people within um, the Amazon marketplace. And there's a model within Amazon called FBM, which is fulfilled by merchant. Because most people that sell on Amazon is because they want to leverage Amazon's prime service and delivery service. You know, you, you take your products, you send them to Amazon, the customer goes on Amazon, buy something on, on Prime, buy it, Amazon deliver that product, you get paid. It all happened hands off, right? So you can send 100 units in, 100 units get sold, you get paid 100 times over. Whereas FBM, it's a case of if the product sells, you have to get the package, get the label, and post that delivery, just like a normal like uh, eBay sale or Gumtree or Marketplace or whatever. Um, it's less than, less than ideal um, for, for me anyway. Um, so I went into that and within the month of May, I'd done, I think I sold 900 units um, based on wants and needs, right? I just looked at the marketplaces and, the decide, and I started to realize where the opportunities were. I'm not going to reveal them now because if we do enter another lockdown 2.0, then I'll just be giving away my golden gold. <laughs> but um, the way that I looked at it was what are things that people need and people are too lazy to go and get them because now you have to go outside the supermarket for four and a half hours to get your bacon rolls or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I thought, what are the essentials? And it dawned on me as I started to try and, you know, purchase some of the own, the things that I needed for myself, having an Amazon business, I needed ink. For label printing right so i went on amazon went to my order history went to reorder something that i ordered for 12 pounds it was now 47 pounds i was like the fuck? <laughs> you know and because i've i've got the chrome extensions to actually analyze the markets and stuff to see you know where the trends and prices are changing i could see where amazon went out of stock because now it's work from home and now everybody who doesn't need to print anymore is now printing and then price just started to increase gradually. Um, so yeah, started to sell different products and stuff on Amazon, done exceptionally well. And I was leveraging a courier. I'm not going to mention who it is, just in case I go super viral. Um, 
out of those 900 units, sadly, they misplaced 200. So 200 out of 900 went missing. Um, and I had to deal with a lot of customer complaints, backlash, feedback. Yeah. Uh, where is my item? Are the items arrived, arrived damaged? And they're sending me photos of it. It looked like somebody been doing kick-ups of it or something. So, you know, whenever I conduct business, I always stick to the principle that the customer is always right. You know, do what's right for the customer, um, regardless of, of profit margins. Just yeah. because if that one customer has had a bad experience and you resolve that, at least then they're not going to walk around with a sour taste in their mouth talking bad about you because you never know who your next customer might be and how they might be connected to that person. So um, that's what I did. Um, you know, took a bit of a, a loss on the profit margins. It still remained profitable, but not as profitable as it could have been. Um, again, you know, after that, I just took a step back. And I thought this isn't scalable because I felt like Postman Pat just running to and from the post box every day, <laughs> posting all these units. Um, so what I then did is went back into the marketing agency side of things. Um, so with that, um, it came to a point where my local gym was closed and I was asking them like, Hey, what, what are you doing in order to continue to engage with, um, your members? Right. Cause what they did is they reduced the membership feed from, I think it was 25 down to 20, but then there was no exchange of value. It was just a case of, oh, yeah. just hold on with us, just continue to pay. Cause it, you know, it's going to be over soon which obviously wasn't the case <laughs> definitely um, um i reached out to them and said hey look this is my idea um and this is why i think it will work and yeah. it was to pivot all of their classes from on premises to being online within a facebook group yeah. so we created a facebook group we got i think 140 members within 24 hours um so all of their members who are paying for on-site memberships and had that reduced we're now continuing to pay a reduced rate to pay to, to participate in the online private group so now they didn't have yeah. to lose any any more customers yeah. um in fact they actually grew the business by 50 percent over the lockdown because there was yeah. the biggest problem within the fitness industry was a lot of people were seeing people doing online workouts and instagram videos and stuff so naturally you know it's like sheep mentality oh <laughs> I must do the same thing. They're doing it, so I'm going to do it. But what you find is that actually just devalues your your product or your core offering, right? Because if you're giving away all your, your secret sauce for free on Instagram, how are you then going to say to somebody in six months' time, oh, do you want to pay me for a live workout class? Because they're going to say, well, no, I've got Joe Wicks on YouTube that can do it for free, and I've got all your videos which are on your, on your timeline. So um, I made sure that they didn't do that from the beginning. Um, and as a result of that, the Facebook group actually fostered for like a community. So people were like sharing their own images in there about like things that they're making at home, like workout, workout meals and stuff like that. Um, yeah. so people encouraging each other and stuff like that. So it created a community, the same community you had in the gym, but within a Facebook group. Um, now word got out about people that were in the group and the, the bargain that was associated with the group only being 20 pounds a month and you get, four live workout classes during a week, and then a, a Saturday drum and bass exercise workout, which is live as well. And then people were asking their gyms and stuff, saying, oh, are you doing anything like this? Oh, no, 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 we've got um, giving everybody like a training program, which is just do this, then do that. Yeah, it's not really the same, right? So as a caveat that, people started signing up from other gyms locally as well. So they've 
you know, grew their, their member base. And when they opened the doors, they then actually became a full-time member as well, which was, which was quite good. Um, what else? Um, so after doing the sort of gym stuff, um, I started moving into LinkedIn automations. So helping people reach out and connect with new people on social media by leveraging uh, automation automations for conversations. Um, there's a couple of different tools you can use for this, but the main the main thing is just making sure that you get the messaging correct. Because if you you know connect with somebody on LinkedIn and you hit them with a pitch, you, should, you know you're, you're doing more damage than you are any good. Because it's like mm-hmm. if, you, if you walked into McDonald's and they said, "Do you want do you want a straw with your strawberry milkshake?" You know, how do you even know that that's what the customer wants? <laughs> you can't make that assumption. So, um, yeah, started setting that up for quite a few people, um, and that's seen a lot of traction. And you know, that's got me to where I am now with the agency. So, um, the, the core offering for the agency is connecting with people using automations, whether it's through you know LinkedIn or um, email outreach. Nice. So it's been a it's been a journey during lockdown and yeah and before <laughs> yeah um so obviously there's like loads to go from that um because obviously amazon fulfillment is something that i've i've personally been interested in a while and i've never i've never done anything with it um mm. i did the exact same thing as you did and that's i put a post on facebook and i was like is anybody got any books i want to get rid of mm-hmm. um ended up about 100 books and then that saturday we went around all the charity shops and probably picked up about another 50 books um there's like 150 books sat in the room next to me and i know that some of them are worth like 40 50 pound each and i'm one of them ones who are like i need to do that i need to do that i need to do that and they're just sat there um so one quick question from there is what's the biggest what's the biggest profit you've made on something what's like the what was the lowest price you brought it for but the highest you got rid you sold it for um lowest to highest would be uh so when we put the books into, sorry, when we acquired the books for free, the 12 and a half thousand books for free, um, when you send your inventory into Amazon, um, you can have, you can set up custom SKUs, which is just like a, a means to identify your, your product inventory. So James and I, we put um, the custom SKUs as Jack's library and then a, a sequence of numbers. So for example, um, what the, the sales rank was at the time when we listed it and the time of year, so August and a couple of other data points. So anytime a book sells, we'd see that's from Jack's library. Um, and we used to keep sending each other screenshots for like, you know, big wins, because all of them were free, right? Um, yeah. and my my top one was about 210, 210 pounds from a free book. Um, I think James, I think James had two of the same book and one of them went for 290 i don't know if we sold the second one but yeah so you know those books alone just covers covers the time you know so, yeah um yeah it's it's a big market in it because there's people that i follow on instagram who are like doing it full time now and they'll mm-hmm. go into shops and they'll spend like four or five hundred pounds like b&m and stuff turn it and one of the one of the examples i have actually done recently and i made advantage of was um in our local Poundland, there was phone cases, mm-hmm. um, and I can't think who who they were, but it's like Paris brand and London, and all these like. And I, we looked and we were like, they're only a pound, but they're proper proper nice packaging in, in nice things. And I was like, they're worth something. So we um 
we looked on eBay and looked on Amazon. They were kind of like 30, 40 pound each. And like, I, I was asking my partner, I was like, they're like, they're selling like every couple of hours for like 40 pound. <laughs> and she was like, she obviously my partner didn't really get it. And I was like, I was like, generally look. So we picked up like 20 of these phone cases and took them to the checkout. And the woman was like, what are you doing? And I couldn't think of anything. And I was like, look, I'm just picking up some phone cases. Like we're going to do, um, we're going to give some like gift bags away to people. And we thought it'd be a good idea. And then, yeah, and the next day, listed them all on eBay. And then within like a week, they sold for like from, we, we, we'd like mix them up because I thought if we put some lower and some higher, the lower mm. ones will go first because people will see that. And yeah, and sold loads of them. So yeah, Amazon's definitely a, an eBay is, is definitely something that I use as a side hobby, but I don't do enough. Um, so I mean, one question I want to ask you because I've seen, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say like, with, when it comes to um, if people are interested in getting into Amazon, um, the first thing I'd say is if you live anywhere near me, don't because that's my hunting ground looking <laughs> for products. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid um, to ask. You know, like when it comes to like what you said there about going to uh, charity shops and stuff like that, a lot of people get nervous about picking up a book and actually just scanning the barcode on it, right? Because you don't want to buy that book and then take it home and then find out that it's not profitable because then now you've got a whole new set of challenges, which is now you've got to return it. Right? And if you're already, you know, getting anxiety about scanning it to check the price of it, you're probably not going to want to be confronted with somebody saying, well, why do you want to return it? So um, my advice is just, you know, just <laughs> pluck up the courage. I had to keep that um, uh, PC without saying, you know, grab your bollocks and man up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, it's things that like I walk around shops now and like go to Tesco, and you'll go. Oh, I always go to the reduced aisle first, and I'm always like, oh god, there's that toy there, and they're selling it for like two pound. Mm. Why it's on eBay for like eBay, Amazon for like twenty quid? So that's one thing I recommend. Um, the one thing I want to say is obviously you do e-commerce and stuff, which is quite a big thing at the moment. Um, I've, I can't remember the figures, but I know like the Shopify. People set up Shopify stores like the last six months gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot of friends I know who are now selling, like making things and selling them. And like, um, it's like Etsy and stuff. People are, are like proper, proper going big on it and selling stuff. But if you, um, if somebody watching or listening wanted to set up um, an e-commerce store, say they've got a product, they know how to get it, um, whether that's drop shipping or they generally can get hold of a product. What would you recommend they do when it comes to setting up an e-commerce store and then what like little things to think about when it comes to doing that? Um, so it's a bit of a tricky one, really, because <laughs> it depends on, like you said, if they can actually get these products, these physical products, and they can own them. Um, but you're always faced with like two challenges. There's a couple of different models, a couple of different approaches you can take. So you, on the one hand, you've got something like eBay dropshipping or any type of dropshipping, you don't actually need to own the physical inventory. So there's very little upfront um, costs associated with it. So for example, you might list it on Facebook Marketplace and then when somebody buys it, you can then deliver it to them via, you know, Amazon or eBay or whatever. And the same for the other marketplaces, you know, you can list your product on Amazon as fulfilled by you as a seller instead of Amazon. Somebody buys it, you've got your dispatch time to five days. You just go on, um screw fix or whatever the site is that you're getting that particular product from and then you send it straight to the customer you don't actually have to have any physical inventory mm-hmm. the only thing that you need to consider is like um the cash flow 
because you know if you're waiting for your payouts to come from Amazon, if you spent if you sold say a thousand pounds worth of products, which means you've got to buy a thousand pounds worth of products. If you only have a thousand pounds, now you have to wait until you know you get your, your payouts. Um, yeah. Same with like eBay. Um, typically, if you're a new seller, uh, PayPal are going to hold your funds for about 21 days or maybe even more. Um, so again, you need to just be con considerate about cash flow. Um, if you have like an idea for like your own product, um, the other model within Amazon is private label. Um, you can create your own brands. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, he's made a brand uh, for hair care products. Can I say the website or say the brand? Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's called Swavy Grooming. Um, so it's on Amazon, and I've helped him to optimize his Amazon listing to drive more organic traffic, um, just by including like images, keywords, uh, things like that within the product description. Yeah. So he owns the intellectual property for that particular product, so nobody else can sell it. You know, he gets them made in China, all branded up, packaged up, yeah. box inserts, everything. Um, I don't know the, the buying price, but obviously he sells it for. Um, you know, a, a decent amount on Amazon and the customers are happy to pay that because they're getting a high quality product. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's as scalable as you want, right? So he has he has three products at the moment, but I know he's looking to expand into multiple different ranges. Yeah. Um, you know, again, with something like that, um, you do need some capital to invest in it, but then you can, you can take comfort in knowing that nobody's going to steal your idea because it's, it's your product at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there is a couple of different ways. Like for like drop shipping is now becoming is massive. I mm. I personally do drop shipping. Um, and yeah, it's one thing that you need to really think carefully about the cash flow because simple things as well. Like you might be making four even three four pound profit when you do the product, but then you've mm. got to think of all the other things as well. Like there's ho like if you're using Shopify, there's hosting fees. Um, what happens if there's a return? Like I've noticed as well, a lot of drop shipping companies. They're very mm -hmm. sketchy about returns, as in that they either don't offer returns or that the return has to come through certain ways. And like you said there about cash flow, you might be out without money for like 28 days. And if you can't afford that, then it's it's not the right option for you. There's different ways. That's one, one thing I'd recommend is doing a lot, a hell of a lot of research into it because there isn't just one way to do it. There's a lot of ways. And like you said, there's eBay, there's Amazon, there's Shopify. And a million of a million different ways out there that, that you can move forward with obviously e-commerce and having your own product or drop shipping which is something that drop shipping is something that i recommend that most people look at because it can also be a bit of like a, if you don't want to if, if you don't want it to be full-time income mm -hmm. it can also be a bit of fun on the side um because i know there's a there's a lady i know who she loves her dogs um and she struggled to find dog toys so she's she came to me and she was she had this idea so what she's now done is set up a drop shipping for like dog toys and stuff but mm -hmm. on the side of that she gets to blog about her, do her dogs she gets to make videos of the dogs and is on tiktok and all that but she does that as a hobby and that's why i'd recommend like some people look at drop shipping because it it can be worthwhile and obviously and it can be a bit of fun um but obviously a couple of things i want to ask you and that i asked most of my guests is what sort of um whether it's recently in life in business years ago yesterday whenever what sort of like one mistake that you think you've made that you've really learned a lesson from and has helped you move forward i'm not talking like a if you've made a mistake yesterday and it's still very sour don't don't mention it but if you've made a mistake and you've it's it's been that changing point 
in your career, in your life, like I said, personal business, what would you say that has and, and what lessons did you learn from it? Um, so it's a, it's a tough one, to be honest, um, because I don't want to encourage people not to be um, generous. But for me, I think the biggest lesson that I've had to learn is to, uh, it's the power of saying no. You know, mm. uh, for me, I've always been somebody who pays it forward. Um, I guess it comes from being in the military. The mindset is service before self. So I've always found myself, if somebody asks me to do something, whether it's a friend, you know, or a colleague, um, I normally just drop what I'm doing and just carry out that task. Um, at yeah. my own. And you know, that's detrimental to what it is that I was trying to achieve. Um, so one of the, the first businesses that I started up in 2000 and 14, I think it was. This was just after I got back from um, Ibiza. Um, probably the best year of my life, I think. Uh, I started an event management company called Beyond the Beat. And, you know, that was mainly focused around trying to help my friends become, you know, um, headline DJs. You know, I never wanted yeah. to become a DJ. My passion was to try and help them accomplish what they wanted to achieve. Um, I had 14 resident DJs. Uh, it was my cousin and I that ran the business. Um, and they were in from Prague to Australia, Dubai, and the UK. So we had um, quite, a, quite a wide span. Um, yeah. We some good stuff, hosted stages at festivals, done you know nightclubs in London and, and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, what I found, and it was a really tough pill to swallow, was um, not everybody wanted the same thing as that I wanted for them. You know, it's a case of I'd say, hey, is this what you want? They'd say yes, but then their actions wouldn't align with what they'd say. So, you know, it was, I think it was my uncle that said it to me. He said, look, you and you and Rio put a lot of time into this business, but is the same level of energy being reciprocated or are you just flogging a dead horse? And that's when it really hit home. I was like, you know what? I am the one that's running around London selling tickets for these, you know, my residents so that they can get their gigs. You know, I am the yeah. one that's writing up resident advisor bios. I am the one managing social media pages. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm doing a bit too much here, and the energy's not being reciprocated. And then, sadly, you know that that came to an end. Um, but from it, you know, I've made some some good friends. Some of them now are doing exceptionally well as DJs, and then the others who, you know, didn't put the effort in. Consequently, you know, they're not in the music industry anymore. But, um, for your question, a long answer to a short question would be <laughs> the most valuable lesson: learn to say no, um, yeah. or just defer. Something rather than just jumping straight into it. So if someone said, "Oh, can you do this for me? You know, does it have to happen right now, or can we can we do this tomorrow?" Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And the whole the whole saying "no" thing is a big thing because the last couple of episodes I've done this podcast, we've touched on um, ideal clients, and mm -hmm. that when you start off in business, you think that everybody's your ideal client, and yeah. it it really is not. Um, especially as you're know in the marketing world. There's customers who will come to you and it's, oh, yeah, well, I can pay a little bit more than the price or I'll pay the same. But you end up saying no because they end up costing you more hours than it's really worth. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I 100% agree that that saying no. And it often, yeah, there's been times I've suggested to somebody and it's been a massive mistake, but I've learned from that and it's helped me create the business model that I've got. Um, 100%. So the one... The one thing I like to, because obviously learned a lot about you, given some advice and some tips, is if you could leave on one piece of advice, one tip, 
something that you could just leave people with, what would what would that be and why? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I would say step into the step into the uncomfortable um, because that is typically where you're going to see the most uh, traction and the most growth. You know, you put your body through stress because you're working out in the gym and consequently you're, you're going to see gains, you know, you're going to apply <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, if you have uh, aspirations or a goal or something like that, it may seem yeah. daunting, um, but, you know, nine times out of 10, somebody else has already done it. Um, and I'm a firm believer in, um, you know, a shortcut to success is through mastery, you know, and seeking mentorship. Um, so myself personally, I invest heavily in, in mentors who are experts in their field. So I speak to them, consult with them once a week, uh, and that keeps yeah. me keeps me aligned um, rather than just trying to go out alone. Hundred percent. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer of sort of like along with that line of being in the uncomfortable is just is just do it as well. Even if you're scared of maybe failing, just do mm -hmm. it because the feeling of failure is a lot better than the feeling of not doing something. Mm. If you're sat there in 10 years time going, oh, God, I wish I did that. I wish I did that. That feeling is a lot worse than actually going, do you know what? I tried and it didn't work. Um, and yeah, 